So we're going to finish the second half of, of, of Revelation chapter 9, and we're dealing with one more trumpet. It's the sixth trumpet. And before we read the passage that we're going to be talking about today, I want to do a little bit of review. And this week I want to go back to the timeline. I want to review the timeline because I want you to keep this in mind. I want this to be in the back of your head as we go through this. It, it matches up with the chart we passed out at the very beginning, but we're adding actual time frames to the flow of things. So we'll just read this really quickly in the top of your notes. The first three and a half years of the tribulation, seals one through four take place. They're not fast moving. They're a bit subtle. If we didn't know the rapture took place, we'd probably miss them. At the end of this period of time is the martyrdom of believers. So we have God making an announcement with the rapture. We have mankind's response, the Antichrist rising to power. And then we have God making another proclamation. And the, the next period of time is three and a half years to six years. So again, it's a, it's a long period of time in the tribulation. Seals four through six take place. And you can go back and read about those. The martyrdom continues, and mankind as a whole rejects Christ. The seventh seal is the beginning of the trumpets. It's the seven trumpets. And so now we're in the sixth year, which means we only have a year left. Things have been moving fairly slowly. They're going to start moving quickly. So for the first four months or so of that last year, the sixth year, and, and these, are, these are best guesses. Uh, we don't have chapter and verse that says, at this point this happened. We're reading the context. We're putting the clues together. We're taking times and dates they do give us, applying them to the story. So it looks like the first four months of the last year we have trumpets one through four. And God proclaims his sovereignty over, over virtually everything. At about halfway through the sixth year, the fifth trumpet sounds. We talked about that last week. These demons that look like locusts or demons that take the form of a locust, they go out over the earth and they, they create a, they give people a sting or a wound that lasts for five months. And, and that is almost the entirety of the remaining part of the tribulation. And in doing so, God has made another announcement. He's proclaimed that he's in charge and that he even has authority over the enemy. Because these demons were given power and given permission and released by God to do his bidding. So he even has authority over the enemy. Now we're at trumpet six and we are, we are really close to the end. At, at most, we're in the last six months of the tribulation, maybe even the last three months of the tribulation. And let's read about this, this sixth trumpet. It's Revelation 9 beginning in verse 13. It says, the sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. And, and what you're supposed to get from that is that this is a voice that represents God. It might be Jesus. It might be an angel. It, it may just be a voice that does not come from a body. But it represents God. It's coming out of the altar or from the altar. It's, it's God's voice. So we know this is from God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels that are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. 
The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their, breast, their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses, horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouth came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which to inflict injury. The rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So that's that's the, the trumpet. It's actually fairly simple and fair, fairly straightforward what we see happening. But still, let's go through. Let's define some terms. Let's get a clear picture of what's going on. So back to your notes. There's the phrase, four angels who are bound. That's in verse 14. It's, it's interesting that our translators put the word angel there. Uh, it is a correct Translation: the, the word is angel, but we could easily narrow it down to, say, four demons. Um, they are fallen angels. We know they're fallen angels or demons because it says they're bound. They've, they've been held captive. They've been tethered. They've been tied. They've been kept away from everyone else. They're bound, and then they are released. God would not bind or hold captive his angels that are following him, he would only hold captive or bind angels that have fallen. So they probably did something we don't know, or maybe just their rank. We're going to kind of realize that these are high-ranking demons because the four of them call forward a force of twice 10,000 times 10,000 demons as, a, as, a, as an army. So they have the authority to call this army together, and that may very well be the reason why they're bound, so that they don't exercise their authority. We're not told why, so we speculate a little bit, but they're bound, so they are demons. They're fallen angels, they're demons, so that's what goes in the blank. They're demons bound at the Euphrates River. Now, the Euphrates River is a very long river, and we don't know where they're bound. It's obviously not important, just that that's where they're at. Number two, there's the phrase, very hour and day and month and year. And, and that's, that's a kind of a common phrase, but it's there for a reason. We are to understand that this was always the plan. This was always the plan. It's, it's not as if these four angels figured out how to escape and they got loose. So God said, hey, I did this. And it, it's not as if they're all, all of a sudden coming on the scene and God's reacting to them. They are released to do what they're going to do. Why are they going to do this? Because this is who they are. Uh, Satan, demons, fallen angels, they are bent on death, and they are bent on destruction. And so these angels do what they would have done anyway, and, and they call this force together, and they go out and attack. So number three, we're talking about a third of mankind. 
And that is pretty simple. It means exactly what it sounds like. One-third of humans still alive at this point in the tribulation. One-third of humans still alive at this point. Well, I want to ask the question, how many is that? We're told that a third die, and, and we're given these numbers here and there, and so I thought, well, maybe I'll trace the numbers and see what I can learn from that. So you have my convoluted math problem below you. So I looked online and I found out that the population of Earth right now is 7.9 billion people, plus or minus two. 7.9 billion people, okay? So I took 7.9 billion people. Then I asked the Google machine, how many Christians are there on the Earth today? And it said based on Pew Research, there are 2.2 billion Christians on the Earth today. Now, I think that's probably high, but I don't have any other number that I can validate, so I used that number. So I subtracted 2.2 billion Christians from 7.9 billion people because of the rapture. Remember, the rapture takes place. All the Christians are instantly gone. Let's say there actually is 2.2 billion. That's about a fourth of the people. Leaves us 5.7 billion. In seal number four... If you remember, one-fourth of the world's population was killed. So we subtract a fourth out of that. So we're going to remove 1.43 billion. And that leaves us with 4.27 billion. Still more people than we can actually count. And then I look to see where other places we lost, folks. And there's the martyrs. Remember the martyrs that were, that were in the throne room who were asking... How long, O Lord, shall you avenge our death? And then later they were described as multitudes that no one could count from every tribe, every language, every nation. And that's hard to quantitate, but I assigned them a value of 0.27 billion. Why? Because it made super good, easy math. And I had to pick a number, right? uh, 0.27 billion is a lot of people These are people who are saved during the tribulation and are also martyred because of their belief during the tribulation. So that's a a guess, but that leaves us with 4 billion people, okay? Then we have, from trumpet number 3, we have the water that turned bitter, and it says many people died. So we're going to call many people 1 million people. And, and, And I'm okay with that. Number B of a million people, because there's a lot of reasons why people would be dying during this time. And I'm okay with the number of Christians being a little high, because it balances out. There's a lot of people dying that aren't listed here. So we can easily bring the population down to 3.9 billion people at this point in the tribulation. It's maybe lower. Matter of fact, it's probably lower. But this passage says that one-third of all mankind die because of this event, which we're going to be reading about. So one-third of those remaining will be approximately 1.3 billion people. So 1.3 billion people are killed by this demon army that are led by these four angels that were bound at the river Euphrates. Those 1.3 billion people are killed. That leaves 2.6 billion people still on the planet. Still a huge number of people. So that's, that's the numbers, and that's going to be relevant in just a minute. We'll talk about that. 
I want to do number four, though. The size of the angel army, it says it was twice 10,000 times 10,000. That's in verse 16. So I did that math. Not on paper. I used the machine. 10,000 times 10,000 times 2 produces a 2 million demon army. A 2 million demon army. 2 million fallen demons. My first question is, where did they all come from? Well, it tells me there's a, there was a lot more angels than we would probably think of. A third of them fell, and within that third that fell, here's 2 million that are available for this battle, if you will. Where did they come from? They're probably the demons that are running around the earth right now. They're, they're, they're not the ones from the abyss. They had a specific job. They did it. They may be part of this, but these are demons that are running around the earth right now. Why the four angels, they had the authority to call them together and lead them into what they would probably call a battle or a cleansing or some kind of warfare. So we have four angels. We, we could probably call them general-type angels. They commanded Satan's armies. They've been bound. Now they're loosed. They call the legions together, and two million demons go out into the earth, and they kill 1.3 billion people. So I want you to notice, it actually says be sure to notice, this event has all the markings of a rapid invasion. Rapid invasion. The ratio described is only 650 deaths per demon. Now, 650 deaths per person would be beyond belief. 650 deaths per demon is not that hard to believe. An angel is, is far more powerful than a human. These demons, if you read it carefully, didn't even have to actually fight the, the things that came out of the horse's mouth created the plagues that killed people. So you picture two million angels gathered at the Euphrates River. They're given their commands by these four angels that were bound. They head off in every direction from there, circumnavigate the globe. How long would it take them to do that? Their horses aren't like our horses. They don't have to stop and feed him and that kind of stuff. I would say it would take less than a month or two. In my mind, it could take less than a week or two. And if God wanted it to, it could take place in less than an hour or two. And so I read this, and I see God making another bold statement. He's making a statement that he's in charge. He's making a statement that he's in control of even the enemies. And he's calling people to make a decision. We are, we are right at the, the crust of, of no longer being able to choose. The choices will have been made. And so this happens super fast. It's, it's not a prolonged kind of thing. So remember how the rapture, maybe 2.2 billion people disappear from the earth, and, and, and everyone says, wow, what happened? A bunch of people say this was God. And a whole bunch of people respond and say that I need to be on God's side of things. And they get saved. Other people say, oh, it wasn't God. It was aliens. It was the next big burst of evolution. It was this, that, or the other. And they basically fall in line with the Antichrist. This is a very similar occasion. 1.3 billion people are killed almost overnight. 
certainly within a very short period of time, not, not a prolonged plague of some sort, but a very short period of time, and people will say, this is God. Christians will announce this was God. It was demonic activity, but it was allowed by God. It was when God planned it. It was how God planned it. And it happened exactly in the parameters of his planning. So this was God trying to get your attention. And everyone will basically right now be forced to choose between God and the Antichrist, which is actually choosing between God and Satan. The next phrase on the back of your notes, in verse 20 we get down and it says they were worshiping demons and then idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Well, worshiping demons, what you can, the blank there is the word false, false religious systems, false idols. And here's the thing about a demon and, and humanity. If some human at any point in time, anywhere in the world, creates an idol and says, I'm going to worship this idol, and this idol's going to do things for me, there's a demon who's perfectly willing to do things for them in order to take worship away from the true God and direct it towards himself or Satan. And so a lot of these idols that are out there, a lot of the things that are going on are actually have demonic forces behind them, and there is real power, and strange things do happen. And they see it, and they attribute it to the idol. They call it a god, but it's really a demon. And then in our part of the world, where we're not so much susceptible to idols and that kind of stuff, we have entire religious systems that are empowered by demons. Where the leadership has visions and, and sees things and has new commands and new revelations that aren't biblical but are presented as more information from God to be added to the scriptures. And, and that's demonic activity behind there. So a lot of the big religions are really worshiping demons. Some of the false Christian religions are really worshiping demons. We've talked about that before. We've, we've explored that in scripture. But it says they continued worship, worshiping demons. It means they're, they just keep doing what they've always done. They're still pursuing a false religion. They're still pursuing a false means of salvation. And then number six, it says, nor did they repent, and it lists murder, magic arts, sexual immorality, and thefts. They still did not repent. It indicates they kept on living in sin by choice. They did it by choice. They, were, they literally said to themselves at this point in time, I don't want to follow God. I'm holding out that my side's going to win, and I can handle it. I'm going to do it myself. And so in doing so, they choose to follow Satan. They choose to follow the Antichrist. And so they did not repent. I want to stop, and I just kind of want to say something that it actually sounds a lot like today. It sounds a lot like today. This is not new. It's not like all of a sudden... When faced with the choice of following God or not, people go, oh, I choose not. It's not new. We, the whole world today, every one of us has faced the decision. Everyone out there at some point realizes there's a God. One, because we see God's activity around us. Two, because God has put a knowledge of him inside of us. If we claim to be an atheist, we've had to create that belief because it was not there. And so knowing there's a God, we've all had to choose. 
And some say, no, I'd rather do it on my own. I'd rather take my own chances. I'd rather try my best. I don't need God. Some say, I don't want God. Some say, I don't want to. I don't want to follow God. So it's not that different. It's just magnified. The events that are taking place are, are multiples of 10, 20, 30 times bigger. And, and God's really making it super obvious because the end is super close. So I want to read the passage again, and, and I want you to remember these things we've talked about and see if it makes a little more sense. Again, we didn't talk about what these horses look like. I'm not going to show you any pictures because I didn't find any that looked anywhere close to accurate. Our, the point is not, wow, these are crazy horses that the demons are riding. I'm going to meditate on that. No. That's just God saying, hey, these are crazy demons. These are, these are the real thing, and they're going out. So let's start with verse 13 again. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels, or demons, that are bound at the great Euphrates Radies. That was pretty good, huh? The great, whatever, river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. They're going to do exactly what God has planned. They will, they will do what he wants them to do. He is in control of them, even though they will do what comes natural to them. The number of the mounted troops that these four angels gathered together was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. It's not a guess. He heard the number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breast, breast plates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails. Apparently the tails didn't kill because that's not one of the three things, right? Their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. Verse 20, the rest of mankind, generally speaking, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent. They did not heed the message. They did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. They did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. What kind of murder are they not repenting of? The same kind of murder we have today. There's the everyday murder where you kill someone because you want their stuff or you're angry at them or they looked at you cross-eyed. You know, the normal murders. We also would include in that abortion, euthanasia, and genocide, which are all on the rise today, where, where a group of people tries to wipe out another group of people, where a population of people, depending on their age or what they have to contribute, is no longer valued, this sort of thing. Magic arts would be sorcery, fortune-telling, astrology, all, the, all those things that fit into those categories. Sexual immorality would be the entire LGBTQ spectrum. And heterosexual sin. 
It's all, it's all sexual sin. It's sexual immorality. The, the flavor doesn't matter. Human beings sinning sexually, it keeps right on going. And theft, simply taking what they wanted from others. Again, sounds like today. In your notes again, two things that are happening in this passage. Number one, God continues to narrow the population, proclaiming, remember this is trumpet, what's he proclaiming? What is God proclaiming by narrowing the population? Well, this time, I can say that God is proclaiming his power over humanity and over life itself. He's proclaiming his power over humanity, over life itself. He's making a lot of statements. I can control my enemy. This time I'm controlling a two million demon army led by their four generals, but I'm in charge. He's saying, I'm in control. They don't do anything that I don't allow, and I'm taking us through this process. In proclaiming his power over humanity and life itself, there's two more things that are going on. A, he's protecting the believers that are still alive, who will enter the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, it doesn't say if in this third of people who die, if the Christians are part of it or not. It doesn't say, so you can speculate a tiny little bit. The last plague spared the Christians. So there's a possibility that this plague will also spare the Christians. But we can't bank on that because it didn't say. What we can say is that the number of people trying to kill the Christians has decreased and their attention has been placed elsewhere. So if you are part of the group seeking out Christians, trying to kill the Christians, trying to, to get rid of those, those God lovers and all that, and all of a sudden there's demons running around the world killing people with sulfur, smoke, and, and the rest, that would have your attention. You would be thinking about that. So it's a break for those believers being hunted, a break for those believers being killed. God's preserving them for the thousand-year reign of Christ because they will enter into that kingdom. He's also drawing the battle lines for the battle of Armageddon. Drawing the battle lines, which leads to number two. This may very well be the final days that man is capable of choosing to follow Christ and be forgiven of sin. I think right now is the time. It's debatable because there's some things that happen, some things that are said later in the chapter that might indicate an opportunity for salvation, but I think they're reflecting back to what's already happened. I think that right now we've reached the point in time where God says, choose now or your choice will be made for you. And in choosing Christ, you choose salvation. In not choosing Christ, the choice is made and you are now following Satan. And from here on out, when we get to the seventh trumpet, the seventh trumpet reveals the bulls, and they are the wrath of God. The wrath of God is now being poured out right after this trumpet is completed. Chapter 9, verse 20 and 21, we read, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent. I think that's a statement of finality. It's the end. The lines are drawn now. The teams are set. You're either with God or against God. Number three, there is nothing left for God to proclaim about himself. The seventh trumpet will proclaim God's wrath upon those who have rejected him so clearly and blatantly. See, here's what's happened. God has revealed himself so clearly that to reject God now 
is, is a closed fist in the face of God. You're not just saying, oh, I'm going to wait and see, or i got to think about this a little bit longer, or maybe one day. You're literally saying, no, I don't want to. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you have to say. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And as mankind collectively says that to God, that requires a response. So up until now, it's all been evangelism. After this point, it's going to be wrath. Because some things that happen on earth demand a response on earth. Two clarifications to finish up today. Number one, God's judgment for sin is either paid by Jesus on the cross or by mankind in hell. I say that because the wrath that's coming is not God's judgment. It may look like God's judgment. It may feel like God's judgment. But it is not God's judgment because the judge has not ruled. The gavel has not come down. When God rules as judge, the sentence will be, Depart from me, I never knew you, and you will be ushered to hell. Or, Welcome, servant, thanks for doing a good job. Come into my kingdom. When the great white throne takes place, that's when judgment occurs. Then, Jesus' price that has been paid comes to account, or the price that has not been paid is laid on the account of the individual. So this is not judgment coming, it's God's wrath. So number two, sometimes the sin of man requires a response while still on earth. This response is usually evangelistic, the first six and a half years of the tribulation, but is also sometimes destruction where we're at now the next three months. I want to go back to that phrase, it sounds like today, and I just want to say that if, if you haven't given your life to Christ, God is calling loudly today. He's not whispering. He's put you in a group of people so you can see what it's like to live a Christian life. You've heard the gospel. You've, you've seen even signs along the road. You've talked to people. You've heard testimonies. You've been exposed to Christ. And if you think, one day I will, I'll think about it a little longer, Maybe a little longer is never going to come. Maybe today is the day. We, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So I would just challenge you to, to don't allow yourself to be in the same position these guys are in, where the decision is made for you because you never made one. Be proactive. Consider the costs. Consider what's being offered. Seek, reach out to God and say, yes, I will accept the forgiveness of my sins through Jesus Christ who died on the cross. I will make him Lord of my life, and I will live for him because of what he's done. That's what we call salvation. That's how we begin a relationship with God. You can pray that prayer by yourself. You can pray that prayer with somebody. And I would encourage you to ask someone to help you if you need that help. I would encourage you just to sit down in the first quiet place you come to and have that conversation with God. That's, that's the application here. Yeah, it's great to know what's going to happen. But it's, it's not just so we can go, oh, wow, man, God's really going to do a number on them. It's so that we're motivated to keep our loved ones from entering into this period. The rapture could happen tomorrow. 
It could happen before I finish praying. It could also be 100 years from now. So we gotta, we got to treat it like it's coming soon. And, and we want people to be saved. That's, that's why we pray the prayers for salvation. That's why we invite people to church. That's why we do the cookies. That's why we do the shoeboxes. And so if you're in that category, please, please think about that. Father God, thank you for our time today. Thank you for the message. It's, it's, it's nearing the end, and total destruction is just around the corner. And, and up till now, up till right now, even at this point in our passage, you are still calling people to repent and to, to be saved. And it's amazing to me that you're giving them so many opportunities in so much time. This whole thing could have been done in a day or an hour. It could have just been over. But you've extended it out. You've given them lots and lots of time. So I pray in advance that people living in that time will follow you and they will find salvation. But I pray right now that our family and friends who don't know you, that people sitting right here in our pews that don't know you, people that listen online that don't know you would really consider making you Lord and Savior so that they have the assurance that when the rapture does come, they will be in your presence and that they will not have to worry about dying before they're saved or not being saved when the rapture comes. So Holy Spirit, do your work. You are the convictor. You are the pursuer. You are the one who gives understanding. And we ask that you do that. And we will rejoice anytime and every time someone gives their life to you. And I pray that that would happen frequently. Bless our week and the rest of our day. Thank you so much for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.